Blog Talk Radio. Learn how to take your caring and giving farther with the Caring and Funding Podcast powered by Cap America. Cap America, America's leader in cross-border philanthropy, helps corporations, foundations, wealth advisors, and individuals who wish to give internationally and with enhanced due diligence in the United States. Through its industry-leading grant management program and philanthropic advisory services, Cap America helps donors amplify their impact and ensure their gifts are made in a safe and effective manner. This caring and funding podcast is dedicated to these donors and the charities they support. Our guests are leaders in their field who join us to share tips for success and stories that inspire. Our host is Ted Hart, the CEO of Cap America. After the show, you can find all our podcasts at capamerica.org, on iTunes, and now just say, Alexa, play CAF America on TuneIn. Now, welcome the host of Cap America's Caring and Funding Podcast, Ted Hart. As the crisis in Ukraine continues, the philanthropic community throughout the world is focused on the rapidly growing humanitarian and refugee crisis in Eastern Europe. CAF America's Caring and Funding Podcast is for donors, philanthropists, generous and caring people who want to make a difference, who want to help the good and brave people of Ukraine. Today, on this edition of the Caring and Funding Podcast, we will share with you the voices of those who are already organized and bringing relief to those most in need. Our strategic advisors here at CAF America will share with you the details you must know to make certain your generosity goes directly to where it can make the biggest difference. Before the end of this fast-paced podcast, all our donors will know how to give while remaining consistent with CAF's three R's of international grant making. Those, of course, are one, managing risk. Two, maintaining regulatory compliance. And three, protecting your reputation and that of the community and charities you will support. CAF means trust in international grant making. And today, we will help you direct your goodwill directly towards supporting those who are being hurt every single day by this conflict. The United Nations estimates that since February 24th, in less than two weeks, over 1.3 million refugees have fled Ukraine and are taking asylum in neighboring countries. This is just the beginning as Russia escalates bombardment of Ukrainian cities. It's estimated that 7 million people will be displaced, 60% as refugees and 40% internally. These refugees who are arriving in Poland, Hungary, Moldova, Slovakia, and Romania are almost entirely women and young children who have made the journey out of their homeland, often on train or on foot. As we considered how best to start this podcast, our thoughts turned to Ukrainian-born Mo Litsky, chairman of CAF Canada's Board of Directors. Ted, lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, as you know, uh, this is a topic that's fairly close to home for me. I was uh, born and raised in Ukraine. I have relatives and friends there. I've supported various institutions there. In fact, one of the first uh, charitable foundations, personal family foundations that I had, uh, had the primary purpose of um, supporting uh, Ukrainian social service institutions. So, as you can imagine, the last 
two weeks have been somewhat hellish for me, uh, and I've uh, been basically trying to maintain my uh, look after my my business during the day and my family during the day, and then in the early uh, mornings and in the late evenings, dealing with uh, everything relating to the situation on the ground and where I could be helpful to any uh, small extent. There is an enormous amount that we could do, almost irrespective of what what anybody's foundation mandate is or anybody's personal mandate is, everything from social services to evacuations of women and children to medical supplies to protective vests and helmets to um, uh, widows and orphans and all the, the issues that anybody supports. There are projects out there, and there are wonderful causes out there, and um, I've tried to aggregate some, and uh, there are lots and lots of ways to do it, but I just encourage everyone to take the moment to do it now. This is not something we could sit around and plan for six months, have RFPs. This is right now. It's immediate. It may be imperfect, and the channels on the ground are still being figured out, but there is Lots of good people working on it, and I just encourage you, if, if you could work on that, great, get involved, roll up your sleeves, and if you can't, please do something, step up. The country needs you, but I think even more than Ukraine, I think the world needs us to get behind this and, uh, and try to reverse the tide of, of this aggression and, um, and, and hopefully uh, give us the opportunity to have another 70 years of peace Thank you so much for your comments, Mo. As, as you say, the most important thing is to do something. Like me, I'm sure that many of you are wondering what can be done to support organizations that are responding on the ground in Ukraine. With that in mind, I've invited several experts to join this podcast. First, Jesse Kraft, CAF America's Senior Vice President for External Affairs, will help us all make sense of the changing regulatory landscape for sending funds to help Ukrainians. Jesse, you've worked directly with compliance measures at CAF America and have been a witness to the daily updates that the U.S. Office of Foreign Asset Control have made to sanctions in Russia and Ukraine related to this conflict. How is this crisis impacting cross-border grant-making? Yeah, hi. Thank you for having me, Ted. Um, you know, while the support of Ukrainians has, has really been top of mind for us here, there has, of course, been a, a growing and evolving regime of sanctions coming from the United States and from other countries that are really challenging to navigate, even under the best of circumstances. Um, CAF America is now working, working quickly to get funds to Ukrainians quickly while also ensuring that we are completely in compliance with these sanctions. So right now in Ukraine, we are dealing with a high and growing number of specially designated nationals, um, which are put in place by the Office of Foreign Assets Control, you know, entities and individuals that we cannot work with and that are sanctioned, as well as a growing number of lost persons. And our due diligence process ensures that our funds are not directed to individuals or entities that are on those lists or related to entities on those lists. Um, and further to that, there are also prohibitions to any work in Crimea, Donetsk, and Luhansk right now. So, you know, all of that being said, though, 
we, we are making grants in, into Ukraine, and there are still um, there are o open gateways for funding um, into the country, which is really fortunate. And it's actually been really refreshing to see some of see some shifts in the financial sector that are supporting relief efforts and attempting to make that flow of funds a bit simpler, given the circumstances, which you know, is, is actually a refreshing change and something we've not seen in past global conflicts or crises. Uh, because, because simply, you know, the fi financial sector tends to be conservative and more risk averse when working in conflict zones. So just a good, a, a good example of this is that, you know, many Ukrainian refugees were forced to leave their homes without their passports, which is usually a required form of documentation to pick up cash transfers through vendors such as Western Union. Um, However, Western Union is now accepting other forms of identification to be mindful of the fact that not everyone has, uh, currently has access to their passport, given, given that they needed to flee under duress. Um, and that's just one example of the helpful shifts that we're seeing in the financial sector to support the flow of funds to support Ukrainians um, and the humanitarian crisis there. In terms of Russia, you know, the, the Russian sanction regimes are, of course, much more severe and difficult to navigate. Um, and while the current sanctions are not, are not fully prohibiting us from continuing our normal charitable efforts in Russia, most financial institutions are currently, not, are currently blocking any payment. So this is something that we'll continue to review in the coming weeks, and we've been in close communication with our Russian colleagues about this. Um, however, you know, given all these challenges, we're so proud to share that we've already sent over a million dollars to support relief efforts in Ukraine and in and surrounding countries supporting refugees. And we currently have 23 eligible organizations that are supporting this crisis in Ukraine and the surrounding areas to which we can make grants. And we have new donations flooding in daily, and so we expect that one million to increase significantly over just the next two weeks alone. Um, so to everyone tuning in, you know, please check our website for any updates to see the organizations that we're working with and what they're doing to support Ukrainians as they all have different profiles on our site to choose from. Um, and we are working with others that have not been added to the list yet, so please do reach out if we can help, help you design your response strategy in any way or to select an organization. Thank you, Jesse, for this helpful update. All of our listeners can be assured that we are monitoring the situation moment by moment as it is constantly changing. As you make decisions about how you wish to deploy your philanthropic support, CAF will ensure regulatory compliance as we quickly deploy funds on the ground where it can do the most good. Speaking of being on the ground and doing good, it is now my pleasure uh, to welcome here on the Caring and Funding Podcast our good friend, Rabia Torbe of Project HOPE. Rabia, you have been Project HOPE's president and CEO since 2019. Project HOPE founded in 1958, and I'm not sure everyone actually knows this, but HOPE stands for Health Opportunities for People Everywhere. You and your team work to achieve sustainable advances in healthcare around the world through the implementation of health education programs and the provision of humanitarian assistance in areas of need. Rabia, bring hope to our discussions today. Help our listeners learn what you are seeing on the ground and where does your organization see the most need for assistance from our generous donors. Ted, thanks you so much for having me and for giving me an opportunity to 
talk about the situation in Ukraine and the surrounding countries and about the needs. Um, I'm originally from Lebanon, and uh, I grew up during the civil war in Lebanon. And what I'm seeing now, what I'm witnessing now in Ukraine, uh, brings back the memories of actually living in a war for 17 years. Uh, so this is very close to my heart. So now, obviously, the needs in Ukraine now and the surrounding countries are huge. Uh, Project Hope deployed teams to Poland, Romania, Moldova, as well as uh, Ukraine, where we have a small team of uh, doctors on the ground uh, helping uh, with the situation. And what we see are needs across the board. Obviously, being a health organization, our main focus is health, uh, but also we are we're providing relief items such as hygiene kits for people that are fleeing the country. You know, uh, people are leaving with nothing, absolutely nothing. Maybe they have a bag, maybe they don't. And they get to shelters or they get to certain areas and they have nothing. They have no uh, passports, they have no money, they have no, uh, no clothes, no uh, toothpaste. I mean, the basic things. So we're helping to provide those in the uh, refugee countries. But at the same time, we're also uh, providing medical supplies and equipment, which is critical. And we're doing that in Poland, Romania, and Moldova, but also, most importantly, in Ukraine. We're getting medicines and medical supplies to hospitals in Ukraine, whether that's in Lviv or Kiev or other uh, affected areas. Uh, the suffering in Ukraine is something that we haven't seen in a long, long time. When you talk about 1.5, 1.7 million people have already fled the country, and the number of those that are internally displaced is higher, but we do not know exactly what it is. And this is, all of this happened within a few days. Uh, our uh, medical director in, in Ukraine uh, he was in Dnipro, and uh, when the Russians attacked the nuclear power plant there, he fled Dnipro. And it took him about eight hours to travel 40 miles. And he said, and I quote him here, it's a biblical scale exodus from east to west. That's what he witnessed uh, in Ukraine. So the needs are huge, and, and we're doing our part as much as uh, possible. And unfortunately, the needs are not going to stop anytime soon. Even, even, and I hope to God that the, you know, the fighting stops immediately. Even if the fighting stops, the needs will still be there. A lot of the infrastructure in Ukraine has been destroyed. Uh, a lot of the refugees have major needs. And the host countries as well, let's not forget about that, but as Poland, Romania, Moldova, or, or other countries, they're providing a lot of services to those refugees but also their infrastructure is getting weakened by the influx of refugees. Uh, you know, if you go to Romania, a lot of the shops where a lot of the refugees are, are almost empty. There are some basic things that are no longer available, and they're struggling to cope with it. So we have to support the Ukrainians that are fleeing. We have to support the Ukrainians that are still in Ukraine, but also we have to support the host countries that are actually taking the burden of the refugees whether they're staying in that country or transiting to other countries. And this is very important for us as an organization as well, that we work very closely with the different ministries of health to make sure that their systems are able to cope with whatever influx of humanitarian uh, uh, crises or humanitarian needs that, that hit that country. Now, one thing that is very important, uh, and I do need to uh, mention it, uh, and 
I think Mo mentioned it as well uh, in his uh, remarks. It is very important to act now, even though the need will be there for the long run, but it is very important to act now uh, for many reasons. First of all, from a humanitarian perspective, we need to make sure that people survive the next few weeks and, and that they survive that with dignity. Uh, second of all, we do need to give Ukrainians hope that the world is paying attention and they're trying to help as much as possible. And, and most importantly, this is the time to save lives. Anybody who works in emergency medicine, you know the golden hour. That's the time when you save lives. We are in that golden hour. We need to save lives. Uh, one thing I would also pay, like people to pay attention to is that even though we're you know, talking about medical needs, we should not forget about the mental health needs of those that are fleeing the conflict as well as that are those that are uh, in, uh, left in Ukraine. We're talking about women and children that have been separated from their, from their family. I'm a parent, as I'm sure many of you on, on the call uh, are. I mean, if I travel for two weeks, I find it difficult to say bye to my kids. You can imagine some of those parents, some of those fathers that are staying behind, not knowing if they're going to see their family again because the you know, women and children are fleeing and they're staying behind to fight. So the mental health burden on those that are fleeing and those are, that are staying behind are critical. And we need to address that as part of when we address the uh, health needs of the population. So again, we need to pay attention to what's going on now. We need to act now and keep an eye on the future as well because the needs in Ukraine are going to be long-term and not just uh, immediate. And Rabia, you are bringing us such an important message here. As you said, an exodus of biblical proportions, this is the golden hour. So for all of you listening to this podcast, please listen to Rabia Torbe, President and CEO of Project Hope. The golden hour to save lives is now. The need is great. Act now. Help bring hope. We're going to take a very quick break, and when we come back, we will be joined again by Jesse Kraft. Remember, our podcasts and archives are always available 24 hours a day at capamerica.org, on iTunes, or just say, Alexa, play CAF America on TuneIn. Now, back to the Caring and Funding Podcast and our host, Ted Hart. Wow. Jesse, uh, welcome uh, back here. Rabia just uh, really gave us uh, uh, so much to think about here. And, and Jesse, we've worked for many years with the good folks at the European Food Banks Federation. Please introduce our next guest. Thank you, Ted. Yes, um, Cap America has partnered with the European Food Banks Federation, or FIBA, um, during past crises to support communities in need, including during the darkest days of, of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, FIBA was founded in 1986 and has since fostered a network of food banks throughout Europe to assist charitable organizations in providing food to people in need. FIBA has a network of over 330 food banks active in 29 countries and continues to grow. So I'm really thrilled that we have here today and I'm thrilled to introduce to you the Secretary General of European Food Banks, Miss um, Angela Frigo. Uh, welcome, Angela, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very um, much for inviting us. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm certain that our guests are really eager to learn about FIBA's crisis response efforts in Ukraine 
and for refugees in its neighboring countries. Can you, can you just tell us a little bit more to start about FIBO's strategy in Ukraine? Yes, of course. Uh, so as you said, uh, FIBA has members in 29 European countries, including Ukraine, and uh, we bring together a network of over 300 banks. Uh, our daily activity consists in recovering and redistributing to charities that are assisting people in need. And uh, of course, we have been deeply impacted by COVID-19. Um, if we consider that in 2019, uh, we supported 95 million uh, people in need in Europe. And in 2020, uh, we increased up to 12.8 million uh, in Europe. Uh, now there is this new crisis. Uh, it's unexpected and is evolving uh, very quickly. Uh, day by day, uh, the situation is changing uh, and um, is very difficult and challenging. I would say that it's a humanitarian crisis, but it's also a food crisis. Um, and uh, as you can imagine, uh, well, and as you know, food uh, is essential uh, for our life. Uh, so what uh, we have decided to do at FIBA, um, well, first of all, Monday, we organized a meeting with all our members, including our members in Ukraine and in the, um, in the surrounding countries, so Hungary, in Moldova, in Poland, in Slovakia, uh, and also in Romania. And uh, we decided to launch together uh, a campaign, all together for Ukraine, to support the food banks that are helping the people in Ukraine. So we are asking to uh, our members, but also to our partners, donors, and citizens to help us. Um, today we had a meeting, and the situation, I would say, is even more uh, dramatic. Uh, so at the moment, for instance, just to give you some uh, um, examples and stories that are real stories, uh, the food bank in Kiev is still working. Uh, they are recovering food from warehouses that were used to store food for schools and other institutions, and they are uh, delivering the food to hospitals because the hospitals have no stocks. Uh, and it's also difficult for the people living in Kiev today to, to get access to food uh, because to have to, uh, to, to stay uh, in the shelters. Um, most of the people of Ukrainian people move to the western part of the country, and so the food bank are uh, created to different redistribution points where they are um, giving food uh, to people in need. Uh, but the, the, the main need today uh, is food uh, in Ukraine, but not only in Ukraine, uh, also in Moldova, because the production stops and so food is not available. So what we are trying to do as European Food Bank Federation, also with the support of our members, is to provide food to send and deliver food to Ukraine. But at the same time, we are also uh, supporting the surrounding countries, the food banks in the surrounding countries. So uh, also in Moldova, uh, there is, uh, they are facing uh, a food crisis because food is no longer available also in Moldova. So we are trying to deliver and send food also here. And um, at the same time, they are also uh, welcoming and uh, refugees. Um, the same situation is happening in Poland, uh, in Romania, in Slovakia, 
uh, and also in Hungary. And the numbers are um, huge. Um, so food is needed, um, but also non-food products, so basic products like hygiene products. Um, and um, as regards food, um, just um, what I would like to, to highlight, and I think that it's important, is that most of the women, uh, most of the people that are living uh, Ukraine are women uh, and, and children. So, uh, for instance, baby food is needed, but also dry food. Uh, water uh, is something, uh, it's difficult to find water. Uh, and at the same time, what we also need as, as food banks in order to be able to, to deliver food uh, is uh, to organize transport, uh, to pay uh, the fuel. And for instance, today our colleagues from Romania told us that uh, Romanian and also Poland uh, told us that uh, fuel has already increased by 25% uh, just last week in a couple of days. Uh, so we need transport, but also logistics and equipment in order to be able to um, send food and provide food uh, to the Ukrainian people in Ukraine, but also in the surrounding countries. And uh, this will probably have an impact um, on the continent, on Europe uh, as a whole. So all the countries will be uh, impacted uh, day by day. That's, that's really impactful. It's, it's just wonderful to hear, hear some of the work you're doing, but really, really difficult to hear of the challenges that you're facing in, in doing the work that you're doing. Um, so, you know, we're, we're really grateful that you're providing such a comprehensive response to this humanitarian crisis. Um, just one more question for you, Angela. You know, how does, um, how has FIBA's crisis strategy evolved over the years through your responses through to past crises and how has, how has your strategy in Ukraine adapted based on those experiences? Uh, yeah, I would say that um, we have learned a lot from COVID. Uh, to have, we have learned to be uh, agile, but also flexible to adapt our activity uh, to an evolving uh, situation. And now with the crisis in Ukraine, I would say that it's even more difficult because uh, it's, uh, it's a, as we said, a humanitarian crisis, but it's a, also a food crisis. Um, and, um, the, the, and the situation is changing uh, rapidly, so hour by hour. Um, and so also our uh, response to this, to this crisis uh, should change and has to change according to the situation. So what we are trying to do, and this is something that we learned uh, also by the, um, by the COVID crisis, is that we are uh, trying to, um, to have uh, regular and constant contacts with our members, uh, so in the, the food banks in the different countries, so that we can uh, easily uh, access what are their needs um, and um, what we can do um, in order to support their needs. And in this way, we can ask for help and for support, uh, not only to uh, citizens, but also companies, and we are very grateful also, for instance, to CAF America for the uh, amazing support that you have given us um, during the COVID-19, but also the support that you are giving us uh, in this new uh, crisis. 
Yeah, thank you, Angela. You know, it's, it's a truly incredible and vast network that FIBA manages, and um, and it's so key what you're doing to supporting the humanitarian relief. So we are we are really proud to support both both FIBA and and Project Hope in the small way that we do. But thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Um, and with that, thank you, Angela, and I will pass it back to Ted Hart. Thank you so much, uh, Jesse and, and Angela and uh, Rabia and, and, and Mo. We've covered a great deal today to help us bring this all together with the perspective of CAF's global response. It's my pleasure to welcome Neil Heslop, Chief Executive Officer of Charities Aid Foundation. Now is an incredibly important time for all of us to respond to the calls for the $1.7 billion that the United Nations have estimated will be needed to support people, to respond to this appalling situation. Here at the Charities Aid Foundation, we have been watching in absolute horror the emerging human tragedy of what is taking place in Ukraine. Whether that be our colleagues in Canada, the United States, or the UK, we as a community have come together to, to respond as fast and as meaningfully as we can in the face of what the United Nations estimates in Ukraine, a country with a population of some 40 million, where it is expected that more than 7 million people will be displaced, creating a refugee problem in excess of 5 million. Already hundreds of thousands, more than, more than a million people have already fled Ukraine itself across the borders to surrounding countries. At CAF, we're a strategic partner in the UK of the Disasters Emergency Committee. That's a group of about 15 first responding organizations, organizations like International Rescue, the Red Cross, and Save the Children. And in the four, first four days of our appeal, four funds, in excess of £100 million has been generated. And while that's a huge amount of money, it, it is simply scratching at the surface of what we believe will become necessary. We would ask all of our donors and partners around the world to consider responding to a call to action to contribute now to the extent that you are able. Come to the CAF website. And, and you will find more information of how you too can play your part in meeting this greatest and most profound challenge of any of our lives. Thank you, Neil, for that powerful call to action. To our listeners, we hope that today's discussion has helped you consider how to support the people of Ukraine. As the situation continues to evolve before our very eyes, there will be much more to unpack in the days to come. Please visit our website, cafamerica.org. That's cafamerica.org. To stay updated on the latest regulatory developments impacting cross-border giving, please read through the blog that we have released that accompanies this podcast, which will be continuously updated. Along with this, we have an active list of organizations eligible with CAF America that are responding directly to the crisis in Ukraine. You can make a difference. Do something now. CAF America is here to help you with all of your philanthropic interests 
in helping the good people of Ukraine. Thank you for joining us in this edition of the Caring and Funding Podcast. Please stay safe, and thank you for the care and support you are providing to Ukraine. You've been listening to the Caring and Funding Podcast, powered by CAP America. Tell all your friends and colleagues to check out our archives, sign up for our free newsletter, and download our iPad and iPod-friendly podcasts at capamerica.org. Thanks for listening to the Caring and Funding Podcast.